12. It is looking to be a very wet week 12. Depending on where you happen to be or when your game happens to be played, this is the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis at Sean Curtis 430 on Twitter. Mike Mastovich at Masty81 also on Twitter. And we're coming to you a day early. We usually have this posted on Fridays. We've got this up Thursday because we've got games on Thursday. We've got, as we record this, we've got one game happening on Friday. And we've got plenty more happening on Saturday. 24 hours before we were recording, we had seven games on Saturday. Now it's three on Thursday, one on Friday, three on Saturday. Mike, how did this happen? Well, I mean, we've got a tropical storm coming in. It's a national-type story. I believe the name's Nicole. And the projection, I've I've been hearing this for several days. Had a couple coaches call me out of concern, just saying, man, we're supposed to get between one and two inches of rain on Friday night. Uh, The Wimber Northern Bedford District 5 1A championship game uh, was of particular concern because they're they're playing on a, on a Bedford field that is uh, natural grass, and uh, some of these other games are, are the majority of them are on turf, which actually helps out. Uh, you don't want to be playing in a monsoon, but at least it's a lot better if you're on turf. So I started hearing rumblings earlier in the week when I was interviewing coaches for previews, and then on uh, Wednesday morning I just noticed uh, uh, one of the f- uh, fans, a father, one of the Wimber players posted something on Facebook and said, hey, I just found out uh, we're going to be playing uh, on Thursday in our district championship game. And I looked, it said 17 minutes earlier. So I thought, okay, this is relatively new. So then I made a few calls, called Wimber High School, and I asked uh, the office, and they said, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And I talked to Steve Slackoff, the athletic director, to confirm it. So I figured, okay, this might be a one-off because most of these other schools are on turf. And then within, I don't know, I don't know if it was an hour or two hours uh, I was uh, added on a uh, tweet from uh, uh, Berlin Mountaineers Athletics and Football, and Berlin had announced that uh, their their District 5-8 Class 2A uh, sub-regional championship against Pittsburgh City League champion Westinghouse, which was originally on the turf at Somerset Friday night, would now be played on Thursday, also at Somerset. So... Then I started thinking, okay, once somebody does it, and then a lot of you know, a lot of times, you know, everybody wants to make sure they're covered, and maybe we better do this because when I talked to people, they said safety was a primary concern. It wasn't. I mean, obviously, you want to play in good conditions and maybe have a better chance at winning your game or performing well in your game. But the the thing that kept coming up with was the talk of safety of the players uh, playing in muddy and wet conditions, and safety of fans trying to drive sometimes long distances to games in maybe a torrential downpour. So uh, then later in the afternoon, I checked in with Ralph Cesari, the chairman of District 6 football from Homer Center. And uh, Ralph um, texted me back. I'm in a meeting right now. I'll get as soon as the meeting's done. And within a half hour, he sent me the whole District 6. Uh, all the even um, numbers were playing uh, of their games were scheduled to be played on Thursday instead of Friday. And all the odd, like Class 1A and 3A, were moved to Saturday instead of Friday. So we have a whole list here of, of everything to be official, but that's kind of where how it went down from my perspective as somebody trying to gather the information and get it posted online with the help of uh, editor Chip Minimar. And the thing is, you mentioned the word safety. And I think that is something that gets lost because there's always going to be that chatter, always going to be that scuttlebutt. Oh, you know, they aren't tough like we were back in, you know, whatever time you want to say that you were tougher. But, you know, Mike touched on some key points. It's not just the safety of the players, but it's the people in the stands. You, it's, it's November. 
you don't want to be sitting in just hours of rain and then all of a sudden you catch a cold that might just turn into something completely and totally worse. And the drive. And the that's driving. a big thing. In you know, the driving weather. was what I was going to, like, point out next was because I, I don't know, but, like, it, maybe as I'm getting older, you know, like, my eyes aren't as great as they once were. But, like, even now, especially at night, when it's raining at night, you get the glare off the road, you get the glare off the paint on, you know, on the road. It, it becomes very difficult. And it, it, like, once you get, like, a set of headlights. Yeah, I'm terrible at that kind. <laughs> I am terrible yeah. in that situation. Like, it, it just, like, you just kind of just squint and hope that you're going to get past that car in the opposite lane and just keep going. Yeah, like, yeah, so, really. like, there, there's a lot of moving parts that go beyond just the two and a half hours on the football field. And I think this was the right call. I, you know, it's going to make things incredibly hectic for a lot of people on the outside of things. You know, those of us in media, those of us who, you know, might be fans, might be parents. Maybe officials, too. You know, and officials who now have to juggle their plans and their schedules to make everything work. Suddenly that maybe that college football game that you wanted to watch or go to on Saturday, you can't go to because now you've got a football game on, you know, on Saturday. You know, the thing that you maybe wanted to do Thursday night or, or like, or now, like, you've got a free Friday night. What are you going to do? Like, there's there's so much that goes into it. And, I mean, I I agree with the decision. and But, like, I can also see, like, I don't agree when I say this, but I can also see people not being too happy with what was decided. But at the same time, it's what was decided. And it was in the best interest of those who are going to be key parts in these games. Yeah, and the, the, a couple of the coaches I talked to for previews, I said, how much, uh, you know, how much did it impact you? And most of them just took it in stride. I said, hey, because we found out early in the day, Wednesday, our practice Wednesday evening, we adjusted instead of like, if we'd have found out seven o'clock Wednesday, you know, things might've been a little different in terms of preparation. And these teams have been playing 11 weeks now. So they've, you know, they've got a lot of this stuff down. It's just a matter of getting ready for whoever's on that uh, always tough schedule at this point. Well, and I'm wondering, in terms of preparation, I can remember just keeping stats and helping out with the football team at Laurel Valley whenever I was in school. Wednesday was kind of the day that Jerry would let let the players go live a little bit. So now you might take that live day away. I don't know how other teams structure their weeks, but Wednesday was always the day that Jerry would let the players go live. And then Thursday would be a day if Laurel Valley was playing at home or playing another school that had Saturday afternoon games. Thursday would just kind of be kind of a cool down from that. And then Friday would be the walkthrough or Thursday would be the walkthrough in the event that Laurel Valley was playing somewhere on a Friday. So really, I think you're just moving the walkthrough up a day. But again, you're 11 weeks, 12 weeks into the season. You know, maybe it'll be a good thing to not go live. I don't know when teams go live or if teams are even going live anymore. I don't know the structure of practices. You know, somebody wants to offer a little of insight, at Masty81 would be the place to go to. Yeah, and at this point in the year, too, the post-game interviews Friday, um, a lot of us probably got the similar answer. Hey, we'll enjoy this one tonight. We're going right tomorrow. We're hitting the film and all that. Mm-hmm. So I know the coaches and coaching staffs now are just – this time of year, it's so important. They, they just jump right into it, start doing their film and uh, prep, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, you know, they're probably so much ahead of uh, – 
the way you might approach it if it was week two, you know. So, so I'm sure everybody will be ready, and people have to adjust, and I can run down through the schedule. Yeah, because uh, let's start with the Thursday games. Okay. We've got three on Thursday. Uh, Mike was mentioning the District 5 and also the District 5-8 uh, championship games, but also Richland will be affected by what's going on Thursday. Mike, take it away. Yeah, and uh, we'll hit this with just the basics, and we'll probably talk about these games a little more in depth later. But So Thursday in District 5 class single A, uh, the title game between second-seeded Wimber, who is 10-1, and and top-seeded Northern Bedford, 11-0. and Still at Bedford High School, it'll be 7 p.m. Thursday. And then in District 5, 8, Class 2A, as we mentioned, the title game between second-seeded Berlin Brothers Valley, 11-0, and top-seeded Westinghouse, 10-0 of the Pittsburgh City League. That'll be played on artificial surface, Somerset High School, 7 p.m. Thursday. And in District 6, Class 2A semifinal round, two games will be played at 7 p.m. Thursday. Uh, one involves our local squad, top-seeded Richland 11-0, will host fourth-seeded Bishop Guilfoyle Catholic 8-3. And, and then the other game, two teams that aren't in our area, but just so you know who they are, second-seeded Penns Valley 9-2, will host third-seeded Bald Eagle Area 8-3. That's District 6, Class 2A semifinal. All right, we do have one game as of now set for Friday. That's going to be the District 7, Class 2A quarterfinal, Ligonier Valley, Takes on Beaver Falls. That's the uh, seventh seed of Rams, second seed of Tigers. That's going to be at Geneva, 7 p.m. Friday. And then Saturday, what's, what's going on Saturday? Okay, so in Saturday, we have District 6 moving three games uh, to 7 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, one of the marquee ones is the Class 3A title game between top seeded Penn Cambria. They're 9 and 1. They had that uh, bye week we talked about. And third seed Central, they're 9-2. That game will be at Mansion Park in Altoona on Saturday. And then uh, we have Saturday in District 6, Class 1A, the semifinal round. There will be two games, uh, area teams involved in each of these games. Fourth seeded Portage, 7-4 at top seeded Penns Manor, 10-1. And And then third seeded Cambria Heights, 8-3, is at second seeded Northern Cambria, 8-3, that's a rematch of the season-opening Cole Bowl game that the Colts won on their turf. Now, Penn Cambria, you, you mentioned Penn Cambria had a bye this past week. You're asking them to wait one more day to play this game. You've gone over two weeks. It's going to be 15 days since your last game. Like, does one day, can, like when you've already had a bye week, does one day have that much more of an effect if we're talking about rust or just being out of the routine, or is this kind of a godsend where, like, hey, we get an extra day to heal, we get an extra day to prepare for what's going to be a very good and probably a much improved central team than what Penn Cambria saw earlier in the season? Yeah, I talked to uh, Penn Cambria coach Nick Felis early in the week for uh, for a preview, and uh, I asked him how he did spend the bye week. I said I, I talked about what you just said. I said, is this a blessing or is it a – for lack of a better word, curse. Uh, you know, is it something, you know, you get to heal up or do you not want to lose momentum? And he said they kind of just took it in stride. He said he gave the guys a, a couple days off that first week to uh, recharge. And he said they went through and uh, did a few days of practice and, and then they uh, went back into the regular routine this week. And now, as you said, when I talked to him, they did not know they were going to have to wait one more extra day. But, um, you know, I think at this time of year and with a team as good as Penn Cambria is and with a leader like Garrett Harold, and you've, you've got Zach Grove, Vinnie Churden, those guys, uh, 
McDermott. I think they will be ready. I think they'll they'll be extremely hungry after having to wait this long. Um, and as you said, Central, uh, that's a team. Uh, a couple of people, friends of mine in the media, we were talking several weeks ago and said, man, that's a team. I, I don't know who whoever you are. I don't think you want to meet them in the playoffs. It would be a tough, tough match because they just picked up steam after their two straight losses, and then they've kind of ran the table since then. So uh, everybody's talked all year long about uh, Jeff Hohenstein, the uh, incredible quarterback. And you got uh, Eli Lingenfelder, incredible receiver. And they seem to have got things going on their lines, which is one of the things that hurt them earlier in the year. So uh, this ought to be a great matchup with uh, Penn Cambrian Central in the rematch. All right. We, we went a little bit out of order. Usually we are talking about what happened before we get with what's going to happen. So we're going to rewind a little bit. How did we get here? Let's touch on some of your bigger results. I don't think there were a lot of surprises, but I will say that I think Berlin Brothers Valley made some believers this past week. Yeah, Berlin Brothers Valley, uh, talking to Coach Doug Paul, um, you know, they've they've kind of had a chip on, on the uh, figurative shoulder for much of the year. They they wanted to show some people, hey, you know, everybody's been talking about, well, the Westpac's going to be going away. And both he and Matt Grohall from Wimber have said to me, like, you know, people think because the conference is kind of, you know, dissolving, that that means that no one in that conference is one of your top tier teams. Well, heck, like they both said, over the past several years, their teams could compete with anybody in this region. And they've they've had success at the district and, uh, you know, state playoffs over the years. So. They went out against uh, Bedford. Well, first off, Doug Paul was saying in the Appalachian Bowl, they played Heritage Conference champion Penn's Manor. They were undefeated that time. Berlin beats them 35-0 at Wimber Stadium. Next week, you're playing uh, Bedford, uh, one of the top contenders in the Laurel Highlands Athletic Conference. Now, the Bisons had three three losses coming in that game, but they were by a combined eight points. Uh, they were not the Bedford juggernaut of recent years, but they were by no means like a down team. They were just – Bedford, every loss I've seen them, they're in the game until this game at Berlin. And uh, Berlin manhandled uh, Bedford on both sides of the line, uh, dominated offensively, just moved the ball, and on defensively, they disrupted Bedford. Bedford had a couple big plays for uh, one touchdown in the first quarter and one in the fourth, but in between, just couldn't get anything going on a sustained level. And meanwhile, like Berlin at the end, Bedford did get a uh, 30-yard touchdown when the second quarterback, Joey Huxta, replaced the injured Kevin Ressler. Uh, he hit Max Washington, 30-yard touchdown. So there's a slim chance there. Uh, you know, at that point, you know, it's 27-12. Was, I, I think it was like eight, eight and a half-plus minutes left. So you'd need a miracle to win anyway, especially the way Berlin was playing. But at least you have some hope. Well, Berlin came out, and they ran 15 plays all on the ground, four first downs, and – when they finally didn't convert on fourth down, they were deep into Bedford territory, but there was only 44 seconds left in the game. So game over. And I even said after the game to Doug, I said, man, that might have been one of the most impressive things about the game, that drive. I mean, it was just boom, boom, boom. You knew what was coming, but every play they were gaining four yards, five yards, a couple ten yards on first down, and just kept moving the chains and chewing up that clock on your home field. And uh, the, the Berlin fans loved it. Berlin Brothers Valley will take on Westinghouse. And Westinghouse had to survive a little bit of an early onslaught from Chestnut Ridge before just going on its hair. Yeah, Westinghouse, 40 unanswered points to end that game and uh, beat uh, Chestnut Ridge 48-15. to 
And some of the same people who I, I saw last year in that sub-regional championship game at Somerset High against Wimber, a game that Wimber led by 13 points twice in the second half, including once in the fourth quarter. And just uh, Keyshawn Morcillo, just their quarterback. He was unbelievable in that game. I saw him against Wimber, and he did the same thing last week against Chestnut Ridge, just threw for over 200 passing yards, rushed for a bunch of yards, had throwing touchdowns, running for touchdowns. Um, and he did the same thing in that title game last year where they kind of turned the quarter, corner. Um, he had, I think, four touchdown runs against Wimber, and I think he threw for five in this game. <laughs> so, I mean, they've, they've got some talent on that team. I know when they played Wimber last year, they had uh, well over 100 penalty yards and a lot of penalties, and some were just, just crushing penalties. I thought there's no way this team's going to win. They keep doing things, and they're getting negated. Uh, if they clean that up this year, then there would be even that more effective. So it'll be real interesting because I think Berlin's defense is just so good. Somebody's going to have to do something spectacular to overcome Berlin's defense. And I, I just uh, I think the Mountaineers are up to the task. In my head, and I've seen Berlin Brothers Valley twice this season. I have not seen Westinghouse ever in my life. But just reading what I've read on Westinghouse and knowing what I know about Berlin – this has the feeling that it could either be like say like a 27-23 game, but it could also be 13-7 or it could be 42-35. I think it's going to be close, but it's really what side of the ball is going to dictate the play. And I think you have two offenses that are going to be in charge of the game more than the defenses. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, pace prosser for Berlin just does so many things. He's, he's such a uh, key player in terms of the mental approach and the competitiveness. Uh, we have mentioned many times that he played in the state championship game in basketball as a freshman and just excelled, ignited the team in a comeback, uh, gave him the lead. And then you got guys like Ryan Blueball was on, on that team, and he's been playing four years. So you got great leadership there, and their their defense has just been – Led by uh, you know people like Cody Kimmel and Cooper Houston and Grant Mathias and uh, Corey Josie, I mean it's it's just been unbelievable uh, the leadership they've had on that team. And um, I don't know if anybody ever really has a down game, but uh, it seems like they have different guys become the wow look what he did type of guy every week. And then you got your regulars like uh, Prosser and and Blue Ball making big plays. And there's probably somebody about 90 seconds ago screaming at whatever they're listening to this podcast on, you know, because Berlin Brothers Valley has pitched eight shutouts this season, and here I am talking about how the offenses yeah. are probably going to dictate the, t the tone of this game. But I, there are talented offenses. I mean, they're just talented athletes all across the, you know, these teams. Yeah, both teams yes. But I, I just I feel like the offense is going to dictate things, and I think. That plays to Berlin Brothers Valley because I think it comes down to execution. And I think it comes down to being able to know that you're going to be able to get those yards when you need those yards. Because who has really been able to stop Berlin all right, season? Right. And Maybe that's a, Wimber. Yeah. And that, that's another reason why um, I think it's good they moved it to Thursday because I've heard people say, well, they're playing on turf. They, why don't they just play? You can play in the rain and the NFL does it. But yeah, I mean, but it'd be nice if you're traveling two hours from Pittsburgh yeah. to be there. So if you, it's nice, though, having this kind of talent on both of these teams to be able to play on a nice surface in favorable weather conditions, more so than just playing in a monsoon or whatever might happen Friday. And it, wouldn't it be crazy if nothing happens Friday? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, if this like blows like northeast of us and we get nothing, um, 
cool. Everybody enjoy your Friday. Yeah, exactly. Um, Winbird defeated Connemont Township 66-0 in District 5, Class 1A. This is the game that I was at, and I, I'll i be honest. I mean, it's this is the first time that, that I've covered a game in which a team has scored 60 points. The second time I've been in attendance when a team has scored 60 points in a high school game. And it it was weird because Winbird just did it so methodically. And, again, it's weird that I say methodical when you look at the scoring summary and you see all these long runs by John Schuster because he had himself a ball game. He rushed for over 300 yards on, I believe, 18 carries. And he had touchdown runs. Like, he had an 89-yard touchdown or an 81-yard touchdown run. He had a touchdown run in the 40s and a touchdown run in the 60s. I don't have the scoring summary in front of me. But he really was he was really the legs of the Wimper offense. But it was defensively. Like, Conwell Township was able to get, get some good things going in the first half. Tanner Shirley was able to move the ball efficiently until about midway through the second quarter when the secondary tightened up for Wimber. And then the next thing you know, you look up, it's 44-0 at halftime. Wimber tacks on three more touchdowns in the second half, and there were some hard feelings afterward. Uh, Coach Tony Penna, you know, so, you know, mentioned that he didn't, you know, for lack of a better term, didn't agree with how Wimber handled the second half. And, you know, Matt Grohall, you know, you asked the question because you want to give him a chance to give his side too. You just said, like, look, we're going to play football, whether we're putting, you know, our second string in or our third string in. You know, the lack of JV time was, you know, a factor. And because you have to ask the question, I mean, like, because I, I spoke with Tony first and then speaking with Matt second, you know, Tony, you know, said what he said. And, you know, I, okay, I can believe Tony because, you know, anytime you get 60 hung on you, like, maybe they could have stopped at 50. Winber didn't. That's not my call to make. So, you know, you go to Matt, like, hey, like, was this just a case of keeping everybody sharp going deeper into the postseason? He said, look, we're, we're just trying to play football. Like, we're going to play football with whomever we've got. So, and I think the one thing that really set things off was, by this point, Winber had put in almost its third level of reserves. And they scored on... Like a little little play action. I think there was a little there was a little play action, and just like a little dunk over the top. Receiver was wide open, ten yards past the secondary. Just could have walked in if he wanted to. But like you also can't take those moments away from those players. Those players, you know, who show up to practices every day just like the first string. So I, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer. Yeah, here, it's a tough tough situation. I remember once covering a. Penn State beat Cincinnati. I think it was 80 nothing. nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I remember everybody talking about that after the game, and like Paterno was saying, hey, we had fourth string and fifth string. I can't tell them to take a knee every play, but but at the same time, I mean, this is high school, so. And, and you know, I, I've been privy to games. I've you know kept stats on the sidelines. You know, my senior year, Laurel Valley was. I want to say it was Penn's Manor or Salzburg. It was a game at home. Laurel Valley was up 40 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Coach Page puts in the sophomores, just kids who hadn't really played a whole lot because they the numbers weren't there for a JV team. So, like, if you were getting in, you were only going to get in when needed or during a blowout. 
Um, Matt Farnham, just on a dive up the middle, scored a 40-yard touchdown. And you could see Jerry, like, the expression on his face was just, like, part dread because, oh, no, we just scored another touchdown. But also, like, you can't tell your kids to not try. So, again, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer here. But, and I, but like, at the same time, like, I think both coaches are correct in how they, how they feel about what happened. Right. If there's – if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yep. All right, moving on. Ligonier Valley defeated Western Beaver, the Rams' first District 7 playoff win since rejoining District 7 in 2020. That game was at Greensburg-Salem at Offutt Field, so actually it wasn't at Greensburg-Salem High, but it's the home of Greensburg-Salem. And this is a pretty big step for Ligonier Valley as they continue to grow in District 7. Yeah, Hayden Siraki, just a name that every week when I was doing the stats and Every time you're reading their stories or writing their stories, he's a guy that just seems to come up huge. He had uh, 200 rushing yards and four touchdowns in this playoff game. And as you said, it's a milestone moment for uh, Ligonier Valley, first WPIAL uh, playoff victory, and it sets them up for uh, you know another round. Over to District 6, we'll go into single A. Had a trio of winners, Portage over Juniata Valley, and the Mustangs had to travel to get this one in. And this was a pretty big win for Portage. It sets them up with Penn's Manor and the District 6-1A semifinals now on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing about it, you said something. They had to travel. Uh, Coach Marty Slanock texted me today, and he was asking about, you know, is anybody playing Friday? What's going on? You know, and, and then he said, well, well, we'll play whatever day they, they tell us to play. And he said, and we'll travel. And he said, do you know that we've played – this will be our eighth road game in 12 weeks. Holy smokes. And he's there like, how is this even possible? But that's just how it worked out uh, because even the crossovers were on the road this year for the Heritage Westpac, and now they're in the Heritage. So All right, so let's see here. They, you would have played five games – on the road in the conference, you would have played your sixth game on the road in the crossovers. Your seventh game on the road would have been Juniata Valley. Okay, now, now this is your now eighth. Makes sense. Yeah, that's what he said. Yep. So, I mean, you're not going to play – like, win, win or lose, you're probably not going to play at Portage the rest of the season. You're going to play at Mansion Park next week if you happen to beat Penn's Manor, which is a tough task. And this is a Penn's Manor team that handily beat Portage the first time around. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and uh, the one thing is the, the Mustangs uh, – yeah, they, they had that uh, big win over Northern Cambria right at the end of the season. And, you know, coming back uh, with a playoff victory over Juniata Valley, it seems like, you know, they've been a team uh, that they, they've taken steps and then get knocked back a little bit and then seem to rebound. seems like he has them uh, playing really well at this point. And uh, their quarterback, Andrew Miko, is just a leader. And, and uh, you've got guys like Mason Cargo and Isaac Walensky, uh, you know, giving you contributions and – um, we know the tradition at Portage, so it's it'll be interesting. Penn's Manor, we've talked about them all year. Their lone blemish was uh, against Berlin, and it was one-sided. But other than that, they have really uh, excelled this entire season. Northern Cambry, a big winner over Michiana Valley to set up a Cole Bowl rematch. The Colts defeated the Black Knights, I believe it was 55-28. And you don't normally see Northern Cambria scoring in the 50s like what happened here well they had great defense i mean they had uh four takeaways the defense scored twice so there that, you know, that helps your uh push up your uh total 
And uh, Colton Peronish and, and Xander Delansky each scored two touchdowns. They had four other guys uh, who contributed scores in in a season high for points in, in the playoffs coming at the right time. And uh, you get another, uh, I don't know if you call it Cold Bowl two for the year, or, or uh, but uh, you're going to have your big rival again in the playoffs at, on, on your uh, home field. Because Cambria Heights defeated Homer Center in a game that was a little bit more competitive than the first meeting, but still the result was Highlanders win. Yeah, and Ty Stockley back in the lineup after uh, contending with injuries. Uh, had a couple um, – you know, moments where he was, uh, you know, shaking off the rust, for lack of a better word, through some uh, interceptions, but came up huge in the fourth quarter just when you need to most in a 21-7 win. And uh, they uh, have just they, – they rushed for 204 yards in this game, and they held the Wildcats to only 90 yards, which is uh, – you know, it's always a feat. Uh, even though Homer Center's had a lot of injuries and, and uh, issues this year, they're almost always a team that can uh, has a good line and can move the ball on the ground, especially. So to limit them to 90 yards, uh, that's that's a, a impressive feat. Richland, a big winner over West Shemokin. And I don't think that it was a case of Richland winning being a surprise. But this is a West Shemokin team that was doing a lot of good things on offense and doing scoring a lot of points. And Richland just put the hammer down on West Shemokin and just – Kept pounding. Yeah, and you got to kind of expect that. That's kind of what's supposed to happen. I know the the seedings don't always play out. Sometimes you have those huge upsets. But you got to. I would have given Richland maybe about a three touchdown victory. Yeah, but what Richland did forty eight to six. You know they've they've been doing it all year. Uh, We we mentioned a lot of the same names, but uh, Evan McCracken in another big game. Sam Penna, you know Austin Yarnick. They've been missing Jordan Nichols, the the area sack leader, has 16 sacks. He's been out a couple weeks with injury. I I interviewed Brandon Bailey for the preview story, and he said one big positive is Jordan Nichols will be back this week uh, against Bishop Guilfoyle. But yeah, they've uh, you know the the Rams, um, you know, been just kind of pulled away from this. And McCracken got his 30th touchdown of the season. Uh, a, a lot of highlights, and you're playing at Hurlinger Field. Uh, a big long road trip for West Shemokin because we know anybody that travels to West Shemokin always says, "My goodness, how long of a drive!" <laughs> well, you know now they're coming over here for a playoff game. So I mean, uh, and I, I got to credit West Shemokin because they uh, they had a win to get in and and uh, they did what they had to do to get a playoff spot. Picked up some valuable experience. Um, obviously, you don't want to lose such a one sided game, but you're playing a Richland team that you know, has just had a great season so far, and they hope to make it a long season with a big test this weekend. So as we're about to wrap things up here, again, we're it, – it's I, – I don't want to say it's rare because, I mean, it's happened frequently during my time here at the Tribune Democrat and also just during my time following high school football. It, Mike, you know, will say the same thing. When you get a postseason matchup between neighboring rivals, and that's what we're going to get this week, Northern Cambria, Cambria Heights, and very quickly, do you think there's a little extra sauce in a situation – where you've got neighboring rivals or just two very strong competitive rivals going deep into the playoffs in a semifinal or in a championship. You go back to last year. Richland played Forest Hills in the 2A final in District 6. Like, what kind, like, do you notice a bump in intensity or do you just see two teams that know what's at stake and they're not going to let emotions get the best of them. Well, I think at this level, at this point, 
even if you're not playing a big rival, if you're one of those playoff teams with the right mentality, you're going in all fired up. But whenever it's a Northern Cambria against Cambria Heights, or like you said, Richland against Forest Hills, or you know, in the old days when Johnstown and McCourt, you know, if, when they were playing games, even if they weren't in the playoffs, I mean, you know, y- your intensity level goes up another notch. Uh, the practices during the week, uh, you know, the mental preparedness uh, a little bit sharper, and uh, the coaches are into it more. So I think for this game, uh, this is what I'm writing my Saturday column on now, <laughs> since it's no longer a Friday game. It was originally going to be my Thursday column, but now we're moving it to Saturday to match the game. So um, I talked to to both coaches, uh, Jared Lewis, Cambria Heights, and Sam Schutte at uh, Northern Cambria, and they, they both said just – they almost mirrored each other in their quotes talking about the significance of this game and how much it's meant to the community. Uh, it's been an off and on thing because different things have prevented it from happening at different times with conferences and such uh, before they were both in the heritage. So it's been off and on since the 60s is basically what they were talking about. And uh, it's very close. Like coming into this year, it was uh, 24, 21, and 1, and then Northern Cambria added one to it. So it should be, I think, I think Heights is up. I I would have to look at that. I'll get it in my column. I don't want to give wrong information here. But I know coming into this year, it was 24-21-1 for the team who was in favor or ahead. I believe it was Cambry Heights. Yeah. We'll we'll let the column do the talking for both of us here. Like, and I ask that question because, like, I've seen it before. Like, maybe not so much in football, but, like, in basketball. Like, and maybe it's not the players on the floor or on the field. But it's the atmosphere. It's what's in the stands. It's the chatter back and forth. And a lot of times it's friendly. But, like, at times you get that heated rival. And, you know, at times, you know, you have a team that is so strong for such a long time that you become everybody's rival. You know, I I don't think anybody, you know, would turn down a win over Bishop McCourt in basketball. I don't think anybody would really turn down a win over Bishop Carroll and girls basketball or boys basketball. You know, when you get to wrestling, even though Bedford's on a down, you know, a little bit of a down period, you're not going to turn down that win over Bedford just because of how strong and what tradition that program has. So you add that little extra flavor of the playoffs. And I think this is where – you get those moments that you talk about with your friends, with your family, decades from now. Oh, yeah, I, I can cite examples of that. Uh, 2015, the first time the District 5 team, of all the good ones they've had over the years, Wimber, North Star, Berlin, uh, Township. Well, this was the year when Berlin beat Clareton. The game was played at Conwell Township High School, which angered the Clareton people after they lost. But that was just phenomenal the energy level the buzz the excitement and then when the win for the underdog berlin happened it was just the emotion was just off the charts uh, on the field uh similarly i can remember and this is way back in 94 when forest hills was playing new brighton state semifinal i believe it was at mansion park nobody had given them a chance and they went out and did their thing and got into the state championship game against Mount Carmel, but that was so exciting. Uh, For me, that was our first team that made it to a state championship team for our coverage area, state championship game, I should say. And uh, it was just to be down there on the field and just watch all that emotion. And then a week later to see a similar thing, but on the opposite end because they lost in double overtime to the powerhouse Mount Carmel 
Um, both of those games were incredible. And I've seen some good ones, um, you know, with Richland too. Um, the, the loss against Aliquippa, that was a great, uh, great showing, uh, you know, in, in that game a few years back. And then some of the Richland victories uh, to get them in the state semifinals uh, against Southern Columbia. We talked about that Somerset game against Bethlehem Catholic. Uh, just so many of them. It, it's that time of year. We could go on and on and on and oh keep gosh, listing yes. games like this. But, uh, yeah, it's it just the intensity level, the, the enthusiasm of the fans, everything. I mean, if this becomes a basketball podcast in the winter, like, you're looking at, like, just another layer of games that, like, we could talk about, like, in this voice. Because, again, you have either heated rivals that you'll meet in the playoffs or, you know, using a video game term here, a final boss. Yeah. Like, a team that, oh, they're so big, they're so bad. You have no chance against them. And then – Nine out of ten times you might lose to that team, but like that one time that you played, you got one over on them. And the, like you talked about that Berlin Brothers Valley Claren game, that was, I mean, that was huge. That was the first time that I believe a District yeah. Five team right. beat yes. a District yeah. Seven team. You know, and I think Forest Hills was one of the first times that a District Six team had like or any team in our area had beaten a District Seven team in football, yeah. like in a state playoff situation. Yeah, definitely. That was memorable. I remember another one, not, not to keep going on this subject, but it was probably 88 or 89. Or, But Johnstown High was playing um, Brownsville, I think it was. And that, that was in the Whippeal playoffs. And they had to go to Red Bank Valley, which was just a road trip. Todd Berkey and I went to this game. And that was when the, they called them the Smurfs were playing. The, uh, they had two receivers, Mario Hardison. And they, and, uh, they were just – Lights out with uh, Manjafico, and I believe Brian Subich was on a team as a lineman. But that game, uh, they had played earlier in the year, I believe at the point, and Jerry Davich had been – he uses, he always had an innovative offense. He was using bounce passes in that game that they lost at the point. Uh, just a lot of trickery and just off-the-chart off stuff that Jerry used to do. Well, right before that Brownsville game, one of their best uh, backs who had been injured for quite a while – uh, Greenwood was his name. It wasn't Joe Greenwood who went to Temple, but it was his younger brother, I believe. And he came back, and Jerry had him out on the field because I covered this game. He had him out on the field doing warm-ups with bounce passes and, and all the you know unbalanced lines and things like that. So Browser's probably thinking, here it comes again. And then it, this Greenwood guy, they just hand off, boom, boom, boom. And they, they just wore him down and beat him. And uh, that was one of my favorite pictures. Todd had a picture of all the Trojans, big underdogs, everybody counted them out. They were on the sidelines, jumping up, holding their helmets. It was he caught guys with their feet off the ground, and in the background you see the scoreboard with the score, and uh, it, you know it had Trojans and whoever, uh, you know, yeah, Falcons, and just had the winning score for Johnson. All these I can remember Mario Hardison, who I recently talked to on, on another story, but up in the air with his helmet up, and just it was a classic Todd Berkey photo. These are the moments that. Again, these are what November produces. If you're fortunate enough to be here at this point, you know, go out and make those memories. If you know, you're going to be watching, you know, savor those memories too because you were there, you were a part of it. So I think that is a good place for us to stop on this episode of the TD Club. Uh, again, a day early just because everything got moved up. Uh, we appreciate the fact that uh, you're able to jar your routine a little bit and hopefully wherever it is you go you stay dry this weekend if you go anywhere if you choose to watch the games online hopefully you stay dry too because otherwise that's a problem for a contractor nevertheless for mike mastovich at masty 81 i am sean curtis at sean curtis 430 
Thanking you for listening to another episode of the TD Club, and congratulations, you have made it to the end. 